This is episode 42 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Introduction to Gunsmithing Part 1, The Difference Between Aquaponics and Hydroponics, and The Best Seeds to Have for Survival Preparedness. Hey, my name is Todd Sepulveda. I'm the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before I get started, just going to quickly apologize. Um, I guess the pollen count is uh, really high right now, and I've uh, over the last couple of hours, I have become very, very stuffy. And so I've got some, uh, some Spark Naturals essential oils on, hoping that, and that has helped out a little bit, but uh, just... I remember at the beginning of this podcast, whenever we started the podcast, um, I, w- I was stopped up as well, and it's, it just has come full circle. Uh, down here in Houston, we had three days of uh, freezing temperatures or, or co- really cold temperatures, and um, that was it. So things started growing really, really early on uh, here, and so um, I don't know if that's affecting it or not. But let's go ahead and get started. The first article comes to us from the Prepper Journal. And again, the, ar- the name of the article is Introduction to Gunsmithing Part 1. What is gunsmithing? It is the process of repairing or modifying firearms. You can do it on your own firearms without any problems, and you might be able to do it for friends and family, especially if you don't get paid for it. But if you do it as a business, then you will need to be licensed by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearm, and Explosives or BATFE. There are three aspects necessary to do successful gunsmithing. Knowledge, or what to do. Skill, the capability to do it. And tools, what to do it with. Tools are perhaps the easiest aspect to achieve. After all, it is a binary condition. You have the tools you need, or you don't have them. If you need a tool and don't have it, all you need to do is track it down and be able to afford to buy it, or rent it, or borrow it, or be able to make it. Gunsmithing tools are often similar to regular tools, but sometimes there is that slight critical difference. For instance, the first type of tool to consider is the lowly screwdriver. No, you can't go down to the big box store and buy their no-name cheap screwdriver set, or go to the fancy tool store and buy their top-of-the-line screwdriver set. Most quote-unquote regular screwdriver sets have a limited number of sizes and their blade shape is a blunt wedge or a tapered ground. And this is a recipe for disaster when working on firearms. They have a lot of screws, often of the slotted persuasion, and in a wide number of sizes. Your standard, your quote-unquote standard tapered screwdriver set probably won't have a blade of the right thickness or width, and without this degree of fit, the screwdriver will mar up the slot. Even if by some lucky coincidence the screwdriver is the right size, the tapered sides of the blade have a tendency to cam the blade out of the slot, which messes up the top edge of the slot. And firearm screws are often blued, so any marks you make tend to really stand out. If you are looking at a gun with boogered up screws, the odds are someone who did not know what they were doing and had the wrong tools has been monkeying around inside of it, or failed to get inside. What you need is a screwdriver set with a wide number of sizes and parallel sizes called hollow ground. Because of the number of sizes, the best choice is usually a set with one or more handles and a large number of bits. Kind of the reference for this class of tools is a Bonnell's Magna tip set. Their beginner set are not cheap and their top of the line set with 75 standard 
4 fill-ups, 17 hex or allen, 11 torques, and 13 specialty bits for sights, scope mounts, grip bushings, Ruger ejectors, and other unique applications along with 7 assorted handles runs $320. You can get cheaper hollow ground sets, but they usually won't have the variety of bits and may be of lower quality than the Brownells sets, but can still be quite adequate. It is a reasonable mythology to start out with a smaller set and add additional bits as you need them. Although when you find you need a bit, you should stop what you are doing until you can get the correct bit. But this is often unacceptable in the real world. If you are gunsmithing professionally, get every bit you can. Otherwise, get any new bits you need every time you access a new firearm. If there is a bit where you use, which you use a lot, having a spare of that bit is wise. Note that if you don't have the right size bit, you can grind a bigger one to size. You may find some Phillips screws, particularly in rifle stocks, and Allen hex screws have become fairly common. Thus, having Phillips screwdrivers or bits and a set of Allen wrenches is recommended. Allen bits are available, but the L-shaped wrenches tend to be more durable. Another thing found in abundance in firearms are pins. These can be solid or roll pins. To get them out and back in, you need the second type of tool to consider a set of punches in various sizes. For solid flat end pins, you use flat face, constant diameter pin punches. For roll pins, roll pin punches with a little bump in the middle of the face are strongly suggested. If you will, do, if you will be doing a lot of roll pins, a set of roll pin holders would make things easier since each holds the pin in position and drives it part way through. Occasionally, you will have a pen with a rounded end and a cup face punch is optimal for these. If you have a pen which is stuck or extra tight, a starting punch is often suggested, but I don't trust these. They are tapered, and although they do reduce the chances of bending or breaking a punch, only the face is the correct diameter, and I'm concerned they could deform the pen hole. Pen punches come in various lengths. Shorter ones tend to be more durable, but if not long enough to drive the pin all the way out, less useful. A non-marring or brass pin punch set may be useful, but for me, the deformation they, they could suffer outweighs the low mar factor they offer. However, a non-marring drift punch or brass or nylon or both should definitely be included. By themselves, punches are of limited use. When driving a pin in or out, you need a way to provide some impact force to the punch, and you need something to support what you are driving the pin out of, and place for the pin to go without running into anything. These aspects are provided by a small hammer or mallet with brass and sometimes rubber or plastic faces, and a bench block with holes you can drive the pins into. To handle small parts, a selection of hemostats, large tweezers, and precision needle nose pliers is in order. I also include a pair of parallel jaw pliers or a small vice grip and a strip of thick raw leather to protect the part from the vice grip. In my pliers assortments, but these are usually not required for normal disassembly or assembly. Assorted picks and probes can help you get gunk out of a tight space as well as help to manipulate small parts. These are the universal basic disassembly assembly tools. Specific firearms sometimes have specialized tools which make it easier or in some cases possible to disassemble or reassemble the firearm or class of firearm. If you will be working on that particular firearm, some of its specialized tools could be considered basic. 
In order to keep a firearm functioning optimally, you need to maintain it. Maintenance usually involves cleaning it after use or after it is exposed to an adverse environment. A cleaning kit is in order to clean out the bore. This includes some solvent, a caliber-specific set of patches, square of cloth, mops, fuzzy cylinders, and soft wire brushes, and a rod to push these items through the bore. Cleaning rods can damage the muzzle and thus accuracy, so some sets have a bore guide included in them, and some others use a coated rod or a very soft rod material. Some sets, particularly those intended to be carried with you, use a cable to pull the cleaning element through the bore instead of a rod used to push. Alternatively, some people prefer to use a bore snake. These days, claiming these pull-through combinations of mops and brushes are quicker and safer than rods. To clean the rest of the gun, a selection of brushes and cloth is in order. The bore of a firearm is critical to its performance, so a way to check out its condition is necessary if you are considering acquiring a particular firearm. And for that matter, after you clean the bore, you want to check that you did a good job and that no damage has occurred over time. The reasonably priced way to do this is with a bore light. A lighted bulb which fits or a, or a drive a fiber optic tube which directs the light into the bore. Alternatively, you can use a mirror, prism, or light pipe to direct an external light source into the bore. For the wheel, for the well healed, there are even more camera systems. If you see crud in there, you need to do or redo bore cleaning to get the crud out so you can see if there's any damage under the crud. Once you get a firearm clean, you want to lubricate it with the appropriate grease and or oil and perhaps give it a wipe down with oil or other protectant to provide some protection against rust to the finish. If the firearm is operating correctly to you, then it is sort of self-testing. If there is a new-to-you firearm for which you want to verify the functioning, or an existing one which it seems might be having problems, testing is in order. For testing, feeding functions safely. Some dummy rounds are wise. Polymer dummies are cheap, but I prefer machined aluminum ones or even better if you can still find them these days. Ones made of actual brass and bullets, but of course no primer. Avoid ones which are painted, as the paint tends to flake off in the firearm. If you reload, you can even make your own. Just mark them so you can tell them from active ammo at a glance. For testing the hammer and or trigger function safely, a brightly colored snap cap or six for revolvers would be useful. In order to verify a firearm is correctly headspaced and thus safe to go, to fire, go and no-go gauges for that caliber are usually are useful but costly. A complete set of caliber with go measure against the minimum factory specification, no-go measures against the maximum factory specification, and field measures against the maximum safe headspace after lots of use will probably run $90 or more. You can buy the gauge gauges eventually individually but do not mix brands of gauges for a caliber. This is a good starting set of tools. Tune in next time for a discussion of knowledge and skills. Well, I think gunsmithing is uh I mean that's a skill. It's definitely going to need it be needed if there is, you know, a sick collapse scenario or whatever. I think someone who really knows gunsmithing and has the tools for it uh you know would be in high demand. All right, good article here at the Prepper, Prepper Journal. So looking forward to reading the other 
uh, gunsmithing uh, or introduction to gunsmithing uh, articles, part two and part three, I guess, if, if they're going to do that. So we'll be on the lookout for that one. All right, let's go ahead and move on to Survival Sullivan. Uh, this article is the difference between aquaponics and hydroponics. And um, so let's go ahead and get started on this one. In your adventures and struggles with prepping, you may have come across these two words. Hydroponics and aquaponics are quickly becoming a popular method of providing food for homesteaders and preppers alike. If you haven't heard of those two approaches before, you are in luck because we will be going into detail on the pros and cons of these two systems and how they benefit us. This article is also directed to those that know about aquaponics versus hydroponics, even if vaguely, and are looking for ideas on how they can implement them into their greenhouse, garden, home, or backyard. Whatever your plan is, you will be able to apply these to your prepping plans or your urban homestead. Hydroponics. To put it simply, it is a method of growing vegetables and produce without a growing medium like dirt. For this to work, you will have to water the seedlings with a nutrient-dense water solution. This is typically done with piping properly spaced out and a water pump to pump the water solution onto the seedlings. When done correctly, you can expect massive yields in a short amount of time than a tra traditional garden. Hydroponics is a very popular method for growing leafy greens and some fruits. It's also very successful at growing vines like cucumbers and tomatoes. In theory, you can grow anything through hydroponics. The only thing to keep in mind is that some plants need different nutrients, so your solution will have to change to accommodate this. The system can be relatively simple to set up, or it can be expensive and less time-consuming. In regards to hydroponics, you will find that there are the cheap ways that are meant to last even in the worst-case scenarios, or you will have systems that require more initial investment, but when they are done right, you will have tremendous yields. Undoubtedly, the money you invest into a hydroponic system will pay itself in full with a little patience from you. But first, what is a hydroponic system? The first thing you want to address is how much you are planning to invest into a system like this. And if your plans include pumps that require electricity, you will want to make sure that you can keep them going if the power goes out. Without those pumps, you won't be able to keep your system running. The best idea is to start small and focus on a group of plants that are easy to grow in a system like this. You need to supplement the water regularly to provide the rich nutrients that your plants will need to thrive. Start with your favorite lettuce and master growing it in a hydroponic system. Stockpile the nutrients that it needs and slowly implement other lettuces and leafy greens. They will need the same nutrients so the addition... Additions transitions won't cost you extra and it won't be a huge hassle for you to change or adapt to what you are already used to. One of the cheapest ways to get started is to buy one of those moving packing totes and set it up as a bubbler hydroponic system. You will need to get an aeration device, hence the term bubbler, along with the necessities that are needed for most hydroponic systems, mesh pots, growing medium, and solution. Then you will cut holes in the tote lid for the pots to sit in with a growing medium. The water inside the tote has to come up to the level of the pots and the aeration system, an aquarium aerator works perfectly, needs to run to keep the water and growing solution mixing through the growing medium. There are many guides you can find on this particular setup on the internet. Of course, if the power goes out, your pump won't work and that includes your ability to grow. Like with all of these systems, you will want to prepare for power outages through solar panels or any other alternative energy source to keep your hydroponic system operating. 
Most of these systems need quite a bit of water and oxygen running through it for it to be successful. There are special pots, growing mediums, and aerators for airflow, while some people have their system drip continuously and others will run the system multiple times a day to achieve the right water flow. The best advice in regards to this is to find what works for you. If you prefer to micromanage your system, it is probably better for you to turn it on and off while keeping a close eye on your hydroponic garden. If you are forgetful, a continuous drip may be best. Just remember that your solution will need to be more diluted because it is dripping on the plants constantly and make sure that water never becomes too stagnant. Once you have mastered this, start experimenting with other plants that you desire. Just remember, if you are faced with the SHTF scenario, you won't be able to go to your local garden center and get the blood meal or bone meal that your solution requires. Stockpile these supplies and growing solutions when you can so you will be prepared. You might want to also invest in a solar panel or two to keep your pumps running in these situations. Almost all leafy lettuces will work in a hydroponic system. Along with the lettuces, most hydroponic growers have a great success with tomatoes and you can even make some good money growing hydroponic tomatoes. Vines like cucumbers, strawberries, and grapes also are also prized in a hydroponic garden, while many people have been successful growing other fruit like blueberries and various melons. You can even grow most herbs, but the most popular herb you find in a hydroponic garden are basil, rosemary, and oregano. It's important to remember that even though you are providing them will at the nutrients that they need to grow, they still need sunlight to thrive. If you're planning to grow indoors, the system will need to be by a window that gets a minimum of 8 hours of sunlight or you will need to invest in grow lights. Keep in mind that these will require even more electricity than the pump and will have to run for quite a while. Plan ahead with your power consumption with these lights and put in fail safes in case the power grid goes down. Solar power, wind turbines, or a fuel power generator. One final tip for those that are preparing for the worst. Look into building a RAM pump to keep your hydroponic system going if the power grid goes down. These are mechanical pumps, meaning that once you start it, it will continue to pump water till you stop it. The water flowing through it is what keeps the pump running, and without a doubt, one of the most useful garden tools for homesteaders and preppers with a garden when the power grid goes down and you need water pressure. The pros are nearly countless, and the cons are limited to the initial investment and the power grid shutting your pumps off or lights off. Whether you are in a house, apartment, or massive property, out in the country, you won't regret turning this idea into a reality. Aquaponics. If hydroponics is a trans-am, then aquaponics is a Ferrari. Essentially, a variation of the hydroponic system with one significant addition. The aquaponic system includes a fish tank that will be utilized to fertilize the plants that the hydroponic system would do while providing you with fish to eat. Now, that is an easy way to describe it but that is essentially what it entails obviously this system will need a little more work than the hydroponic setup but you will reap many more rewards from it than the previous system we discussed like hydroponic systems there are many ways to put this one into practice you will need to ensure a few critical points for it to thrive though the water that you pull from your fish tank has to drain through the medium you decide to use and go back into the fish tank that is the beauty of the system. You won't require those additives that are needed by the hydroponic system to grow the vegetables because the waste from the fish is ideal for growing most plants. 
When the water works through the medium, it is filtered into clean water and recycled back into the fish tank. The medium is imperative because it must be able to filter the water. Unlike hydroponics, where you can get away with no medium at all, popular mediums that are used are perlite, some gravel types or specialized mediums you can get from aquaponic hydroponic suppliers. Like the hydroponic system, you will need pumps and pipes to move the water to the plants and back into the fish tank. You will have, you will have to take this one step further because of the fish, though. An aerator is needed for the fish tank to give them a constant supply of oxygen, and it needs to be running 24-7, just like a fish tank. For an SHTF scenario, you will want to invest in a solar panel to keep the aerator running at a minimum. The ram pump idea can keep the pump system running, but since you may have plans for the aerator to be solar powered, you might want to make the full investment and get your pumps running on solar power as well. Now, it's important to note that these fish don't have to be eaten. If you are a vegetarian, you can still have a successful aquaponic system for your veggies and fruits. Some people grow ornamental goldfish or koi and sell them once the tanks have got to full. If you do plan to eat the fish you are growing, there are some some that do better than others, and it's best to stick to what works till you get your hands truly wet, pun intended. Without a doubt, that must the most popular fish for aquaponics is tilapia. These beauties, like most fish in this system, will need warm water to breed and grow. What makes them unique for this method is their ability to thrive in less than ideal water conditions, which can be a problem with aquaponic systems, especially for inexperienced practitioners. The next edible fish we will discuss is trout. The reason for this is because they are an option you want to take if you are living in colder climates. They are one of the few that can thrive in more frigid temperatures and aquaponic systems. If you are having trouble with other species due to your cold climate, trouts may very well be the solution to your problem. Other favorite fishes for aquaponics are catfish, carp, and many varieties of bass. These three can successfully breed and grow in most conditions. The important thing to remember is keeping your water as clean as possible. If you have a good medium for your gardening area, this shouldn't be a problem. Experiment with different fish and see what works best for your setup. For instance, you may grow catfish one year, but the next year you grow bass and find out you prefer them and they grow faster because of your climate. It's crucial that you don't overstock your fish tank. Excellent systems will have roughly a fish for every 1-2 to two gallons of water, but throwing caution to the wind and trying this can kill all the fish and destroy your plants. The best method is to start off with one fish for every 7-10 to 10 gallons. If your system is filtering the water, well, add more over time gradually. Just remember, no fish means no plants. You will always need fish to grow the plants, and you will always need a medium to filter the water so the fish can thrive and fertilize the plants. Understand the intricacies of the system will guarantee your success. This system, once applied correctly, is a self-contained ecosystem, meaning that little interaction is needed on your part to keep this thing thriving. You may have to transfer fresh water from time to time, but this is usually the only maintenance that is required, giving you more time to prep or take care of things that matter to you. Since aquaponic systems are self-contained ecosystems, they are becoming one of the most popular routes to self-sustainability. People are incorporating them into their greenhouses, garages, and apartments. The amount of food that they can produce, provide you is unparalleled to any other system at the moment. And because you don't have to buy additives continually, it is a far better option than hydroponics. Hydroponics only outweighs aquaponics with the initial investment. 
The money you will save growing your fish, not buying additives, and growing the same, sometimes more, amount of produce as a hydroponic system far outweighs the negative, though. Our last note from a prepper standpoint is electricity. These things will always require it in some for some form or another if you haven't taken steps to make it completely free of electricity. There are options we have mentioned for the water pump using a ram pump and you can find many ways to set up an aeration device that can run without electricity. It is entirely possible to have an entire system hydroponic or aquaponic without electricity and at the SHTF you, you will wish you did. If you have to grow indoors and need the lights you have a few options that will help keep your system running. It's important to state that in a disaster like an EMP, your system will not work anymore if you rely on lights and electricity for your pumps and aeration. Both systems are more than worth the investment for homesteaders and preppers. They provide an insane amount of food compared to the traditional methods and due to the typically closed off environment, don't fall victim to the pest and disease that creep up in our gardens. If you happen to set up the system with solar power, then you can look forward to food indefinitely as well. Whether your plan to start small with hydroponics or dive into the deep end with aquaponics, there is one thing that is certain. You are taking the right steps in preparing. You can look forward to fast growth, food all year round, and a system that requires minimum effort once it's set up. This gives you more time to worry about what really matters and not about putting food on the table. All right, so let me let me end with this. There is um, a while back, a gentleman emailed me with, uh, a big resource of aquaponics uh, and just just tons of information. I mean, this is a big PDF and slides, and um, he really felt like this was the the future. If people wanted to stay self reliant and wanted to you know grow their own food and be organic, and so he would send it to me, and I would post it. I posted it on Ed That Matters, and he sent me about four or five different versions. And uh, like every six months, he would send me, like he would add, he would find stuff, he would add to it. Uh, I mean, this was just a big resource. And so every time he would send it to me, I would update it and, and have it there. And um, it is one of the most popular articles on edthatmatters.com. I mean, people somehow on Pinterest, they got like connected on Pinterest and just people hit it from Pinterest all the time. So it's one of the, the most popular articles. Um, this gentleman stopped, I mean, he was older and he stopped sending, sending them to me. I don't know what happened. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, after reading this article or when I was thinking about reading this article for the podcast, I, I was thinking about him. I need to go and email him and see if he responds back to my email and see if he's, you know, still doing this or not. And just let him know how much, uh, you know, people are, how grateful people are because, uh, they, they really, uh, download that resource a lot. It's just a free resource that you can download. I'm going to link to it in the show notes of episode 42. Uh, if you want to go, uh, download that resource. Uh, like I said, there's just a, a ton of information in there uh, that you can download and take a look at. But I'm going to try to reach out to him and see if he's uh, still around, still doing this. And uh, if not, you know, what if he's into something else. But uh, very interesting there. All right, so that was Survival Sullivan. And, and like, uh, like I say always, you want to go visit the websites because there's pictures, there's links. Uh, you know, when you're thinking about aquaponics and hydroponics, seeing systems in the way that people have made their system uh, you know, can give you ideas and, and help you out. And uh, sometimes they look, you know, just really basic. Uh, others are, are really, you know, like the article said, 
there was a you know a lot of investment put into it to set it up right. So um, there you go. So go check out uh, this article by Survival Sullivan. All right, so we're moving right along, and we're going to go ahead and get to our last article of the podcast. This one comes to us from ModernSurvivalBlog.com, and the article is The Best Seeds to Have for Survival Preparedness. I think this is a good article just to kind of get, you know, where uh, everyone's getting into the gardening. Those of you that do, you're in, you're you're either you're already putting stuff into the ground or you're about to. I know some of you up north are still dealing with a little bit of the cold. When looking for long-term survival seeds, you will need to grow carbohydrates for starchy vegetables such as winter squash and pumpkins and protein from dry beans and grain. No other grain yields as well and it is as easy to harvest and grow without machinery as corn. And that's from Seeds uh, for Security. So, so let's go ahead and start reading this article. When looking at the yield of calories per pound, the vegetables that come out on top are 1. Beans, 2. Yams, 3. Potatoes, 4. Corn. Other considerations for seeds' purpose towards survival and preparedness include we need foods which provide the energy to keep us going. Grains, starchy vegetables, and fruit all provide calories. Corn grown as a grain is my first choice. Not only is it is it very high in carbohydrates, it yields better than the small grains like wheat. Corn can also be grown and harvested with simple hand tools. Starchy vegetables include root crops such as beets and winter squash and pumpkins. Fruit tastes sweet because of the sugar, but is not as high in carbohydrates as it seems. Small fruits like berries and grapes can be established in a few years, but trees will take much longer. If you have a place to plant them, do it this year. There are three general categories of food nutrition, vitamins, proteins, and carbohydrates. While the grocery store shelves are full, that, that is the order we are usually looking for. However, when foods are scarce, the order is reversed. Getting enough calories becomes the most important goal. No matter what happens, we all need to eat. Growing our own food and storing it will save us money. If we don't have a place to grow food now, we still should have the tools, seeds, and knowledge. A well-stocked pantry should include not only food, but the means to produce and preserve it as well. I recommend that everyone should buy and store whole grains to eat, such as rice, wheat, and oats. Even if you won't be growing all these grains in the future, they can save you a lot of money buying them Sorry, buying them in a quantity and eating them now. Stored grains can feed you while you get your garden up to the size you will need. The money you save will allow you to buy other things to prepare. Grains keep best and contain the most nutrition whole. Rice is an exception. Removing the hole on brown rice extends storage life. You will need a grain mill to make flour and to learn how to cook foods you like from the grains you choose. You can and should grow some of your own grains at home too. And there are links here to choosing a hand grain mill and also an electric, uh, electric mill. Fresh meat, fish, and eggs are widely available now, but would be very scarce and expensive without refrigeration. Freshly caught or butchered foods may become an occasional luxury at best. Beans will eventually become our major source for protein. They are not hard to grow or store in the fully mature dry stage. I would recommend stocking up on a quantity of seeds, which should last several years. If you have not planted a garden before, I highly recommend that you start now. It takes a number of growing seasons to figure things out, and every year that you wait is another year lost. My primary requirements for survival seeds are calories, 
That means potatoes, corn, and beans, which are also high in protein. Tip for potatoes. I save a number of them from the previous season because as they age, they will grow green shoots and you can use, them, use these potatoes to plant next spring. Supply yourself with an inventory of seeds, including corns and beans. They can be found at your favorite seed supplier or you might consider Seed for Security. Note, some of the statements above are referenced from Seed for Security, a current advertiser here on MSB. Alright, so not a very long article, but there, there are a lot of comments that you might want to go check out. Uh, like I've always say, or I always say, you can learn a lot from people that are doing it because they are, uh, you know, making reference in the comment section. So you can go check that out too. So a lot of good comments at Modern Survival Blog on this uh, seed article. All right, guys, so that's it for episode 42. Uh, like I said, go check out the show notes because I'm going to link to that uh, aquaponics uh, resource that you can download, just that huge resource that you that you, if you're just slightly interested in it, you definitely want to go check out the resource and then uh, start looking into it. You might find that you're really really interested in after you uh, you check out this resource. So again, thanks so much for listening. If you get a chance, come by the website and drop me a line in the comments section. Uh, share us out on social media if you get a chance, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, and also connect with me there as well. I always like to hear from you and, and see uh, you know how you're enjoying the podcast and just see where you are in, in uh, preparedness. Uh, I'd like to invite you out to the Facebook group, the Prepper Website Facebook group. It's not the page. This is the group where uh, you know we're... Um, you you request to join and then so we're watching who comes in I mean we just don't want like bots and people that are going to be angry and troll and all that kind of stuff you know we're people who are interested in sharing their knowledge of preparedness or people who are interested in learning more about preparedness and, and being self-reliant and then the other thing that I'd, I'd like to uh, remind you of is uh, if, if you didn't hear yesterday's podcast uh, I did uh, start a mailing list, a, a new list for um, or to live the purpose of to live a more self-reliant life. You can get to that list on the main page of or the main menu of the Prepper website podcast.com. I'm also going to put links on Ed That Matters and Prepper website also because there's a free uh, course that goes along with this, and so it's a five-week course. It's free. It's a, you know it comes to your email. So when you register for the email list, you automatically get enrolled and you start off in this course. and And so you start getting emails and just we'll walk you through. There's five categories uh, that or five lessons that I, I try to cover. And it's uh, food, water, cooking, sanitation, and uh, finances. And so it's not the end all be all of uh, self reliant living. But it's a start and gets you there. And then hopefully through the, the the mail email list and also the Facebook group, you know, we can start a community where we are helping each other and learning and growing. And we are getting to the point where we are self-reliant. And so more information on that, you know, I've got articles in mind and things I'd like to just share with the, the community out there. But hopefully we're all moving that way. All right. So again, thanks so much for listening. Hey, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.